Welcome to the Bravest Kind Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I am a firefighter and EMT in the Seattle area. I'm excited you're on this journey with me, and I look forward to sharing stories of brave and vulnerable individuals, as it is my sincere belief that by doing so, it gives us the ability to unlock bravery within ourselves. This is episode 22 of The Bravest Kind, and my guest today is Ali Bradley. Ali is an independent journalist who strives to be the voice for those that don't have one. She live streams her stories with the intent of creating transparency and reporting the facts. Ali started her career at Fox Sports Northwest, then moved on to Casper, Wyoming, where she served as a morning news anchor, producer, and assistant news director. This was followed by stints with networks in Toledo, Ohio, and York, Pennsylvania, where she was an evening anchor for three years. Prior to branching out on her own as an independent journalist, Ali most recently worked as a reporter for Q13 News, which is the Seattle Fox broadcast affiliate. Ali discusses the fear and insecurity she felt once making the decision to leave network television, but how it's allowed her to report on stories she cares about and has also taught her that growth can only be attained when we are willing to get uncomfortable at times. She is also open, honest, and brave about her own mental health struggles, or as Ali likes to say, her mental health challenges, because she's always ready to rise up to a challenge. She is candid about the importance of mental health awareness, because in her words, those that heal loudly might prevent someone from suffering in silence. Ali is thoughtful, energetic, real, and honest, traits that come across in both her reporting and this interview. A quick reminder before we start today's show, if you have not yet done so, please rate and subscribe to The Bravest Kind on either Apple or Spotify podcasts and share the show with others. Also, if you enjoy this episode, post and tag The Bravest Kind on social media. Find me, Ryan Schaefer, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. First and foremost, uh, Ali Bradley, thank you so much for joining me on the Bravest Kind podcast. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you as well. Yeah. So our listeners know you and I first came into contact because you as a reporter at the time for Q13 News, which is the Fox affiliate in mm-hmm. Seattle where we live, uh, you were doing a story on PTSD amongst first responders and mm-hmm. you interviewed me for... Uh, for a piece there on uh, some of the new segments and mm-hmm. had a great discussion with you. And since then, I've followed you from afar on social media. And I'm just really impressed with your courage and your ability to speak out and really specifically on a lot of issues around mental health awareness and uh, that, that, amongst other things, I really want to dive in with you here and today on the podcast. But yeah, I feel like before we even started recording, we were having some good stuff going. So I'm I know we're like, wait, pause. We gotta save this. But <laughs> exactly but Ryan, right. in in my interview, I, I distinctly remember we were talking about PTSD and we were talking mm-hmm. about how uh, this pandemic, how just about every one of us is going to have some kind of post traumatic stress because we've all been in such a situation where it, I hate the word unprecedented. I think everybody hates that word. But think about that, right? It's a trigger in a sense. And that means that we've experienced something that doesn't sit well with us, that we can't figure out where it's supposed to belong because it's so unfathomable what we've gone through over the last two years, honestly. And so doctors that I talked to when we were speaking and said, you know, the, the numbers of PTSD are going to go through the roof because people have been isolated 
they haven't been able to see their loved ones. They, God forbid they weren't able to see their loved ones, uh, you know, on their, on their last moments and say goodbye. And there's just so many things. People have lost businesses. And now we've got, you know, a whole new kind of batch of issues that people are dealing with in this wave. And so it, we kind of talked and you're like, wait, maybe I have a little bit of a mental health. You know, we all, I think we all do. Yeah. And I think collectively that is one thing that like, we can almost bond over now is this pandemic has really shaken us all up and made us kind of internal look internally at ourselves and, and what we have dealt with over the last couple of years. And even in our past. No, I agree with you completely, Ali. It's been really eye opening and I think really great to see some of the conversation that's been starting to happen around the firehouse mm-hmm. as well. They like said, I mean, after you and I talked, it seems like I became a little more uh, vocal and aware and wanting to bring more of these issues to the forefront uh, for everybody, because I do see Good. it impact so many of my brothers and sisters that I work with. So let's talk a little bit about you and your background as a journalist before we really, really dive into uh, some of the meaty stuff here. Or maybe this will lead us into, I, into yeah, I think this is the meat. Well. I think this is the meat and the potatoes. Excellent. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, what's uh, funny is I like cut yeah. you off because when we when you were, when we were talking before we were recording, mm-hmm. I was like, "You're like, how are you doing?" And I asked yeah. me if some stuff has changed. I'm like, ah, just a little bit. And I'm like, <laughs> I thought my life was over. And you're like, that much, huh? So I, I guess we can start there. Yeah. Let's I, yeah. Let's start right there because yeah, I mean, I know doing a little bit of research on you and 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 as goes for anybody, I think that follows the path of journalism and broadcasting, you typically work your way up in different markets and uh, typically kind of smaller markets and then to a bigger and then to a bigger. And I know you're from Washington State originally and and, and returning back home or near home was always a goal of yours. And so it seems like mm-hmm. you followed the path of as a lot of broadcasters do and worked in what Casper, Wyoming, I think it was oh and back gosh. East and uh, yes. what was it, in Pennsylvania. Uh, and you've all, all, all of over. the, all of the, yep. like, not, I mean, there is a path that's that you follow as a broadcaster. I mean, some people get lucky and they go whoop, right to the top, but some people, yep. you know, you do have to work your way up. And so for me, I ended up, um, I ended up doing, Casper to Toledo, Ohio to Pennsylvania, and then back to home. And each one was a couple years stint. We're on contracts, and so um, I actually met my ex-husband and my first job in Casper, and he followed me across the country. And so, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, I thought, oh, this guy really is in for it. Is here for me because he's yeah. picking up and moving across the country every two or three years. Um, you know, lo and behold, I am now a divorcee. But it is it. You know, it, everything happens the way it should. But when I was going through my career battles, I mean, I say battles because we were making $18,000 a year on a three-year contract. And at that point, I was a lead anchor, a producer, an assistant news director in Casper, you know, and at one point I was the news director. And so, um, I mean, if you don't count my schooling and then when I worked for FSN and, you know, the Mariners and did stuff with the Seahawks and then um, went into my career stint, I mean, that's that's years of my life, 14 years plus yeah. that I committed to getting to where I wanted to be. And you're absolutely right. Being in Washington State, being in Seattle, being to report, being able to report at Q13 was the pinnacle. That was the dream. Yeah. I love the Seahawks. I love the Mariners. I grew up watching the Mariners by Pop Pop at the Kingdom. Um, and so that's been in my blood and we watched Q13 growing up. And so when I got the job offer, I cried. I mean, I was so elated. I was so over the moon. And 
I was hired by the most magnificent news director I've ever had in my life, Erica Hills, now down in Los Angeles. And we vibed. She got me. Like everything was perfect. I I became the weekend news anchor and we had a great team and um things. And then she left. She went down to LA and we went without management for quite a while. And then things changed. And after I still had about a year on my contract when I left. And I left because things became not a fit. I can't really go into details as to what didn't fit, but Allie Bradley just didn't fit at Q13 anymore. And um, for me, that was a huge blow to, to everything that I thought was my identity. I had everything sewed up into news anchoring and being at that desk. And I, I could report and reporting was fine for me, but I didn't really love it because I have medical conditions. And so to be thrown out in the field for eight hours and in a pandemic and not have access to things I need for my medical conditions were, it was a really big stress on me every day. And so I just didn't love reporting. I know I wasn't bad at it, but Q13 was also really my first space that I was an on the street reporter. Every other place I'd been, I was anchoring. So that was new for me too. And so, you know, to be able to anchor and do that, that was my goal. And that's what I kept working towards and kept working towards. And then the rug pretty much got pulled out from under me. And I sat there probably for a month in a deep depression. I mean, I, I had, I thought that I was healing, you know, cause I've had a great counselor, but I had suicidal thoughts again. I had very low points. I had moments where I just saw myself as a burden to everyone because I was no longer able to provide anything. I was no longer able to be something for people. I was no longer able to be Allie Bradley because that was my identity. That's all I knew. And that was all I had. And I honestly didn't know if I was ever going to go back. Um, I considered some other jobs and I just kept preying on it and just kept myself back a little bit and didn't, you know, pursue anything. I just kind of said, I need some time. I'm going to take a little bit of time. And what ended up happening in that duration where I kind of just was still, cause God just kept saying like, be still and no, right? Like be still. And I am not a still person, Ryan. Oh man. I am like, everyone's always like, where's this energy coming from? Y'all, I haven't slept probably for three weeks and this is me. Okay. So this is normal. No caffeine I believe it. Either. Yeah. I, I, I don't I know you caffeine. that well, Allie, but from what I do know of you and our interactions, yes, I, I believe yeah. you when you say I go, you're not a still I, like, person. I go until I can't anymore. And then I yeah. need to sleep for like a week. Um, so when in that time, when I honestly was like, I need to be still, I started, you know, going outside of my comfort zone and trying new things. I was roller skating. I was, I went and threw clay. I went and did some pottery classes. I was doing resin pouring. I was trying everything I could and I landed on painting and I started really loving to paint. And I ended up, I, I have been seeing a counselor that I've had for now almost two years. Uh, she was recommended through one of my old, my former pastor. And so she, you know, is Christian based. So that was important for me because that's where my morals lie. And so for me to be able to talk with her and she gave me this exercise, Ryan, that was really profound and changed my life. Really. It was where on each side of the paper, you fold it in half. And on one side, you put your role self things that you do that you, you know, that you put on things that maybe, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was, I always call myself the dance monkey. I was the third in line out of four girls. My youngest sister has disabilities and she's the most amazing young woman in the entire world. But she even admits like she needed care and attention. And so being the one, you know, the kid right above it, my attention came from kind of being a performer and kind of getting that attention through that. And so my mom would tell me, go impersonate Steve Urkel and do Austin Powers and Ace Ventura. Those were my jam, right? So I was nice. very good 
at those impersonations. I haven't done it in a while, so don't put me say, on the spot. We, I was just going to say, am I going to get an impersonation out of you oh, here right now? All righty then. No, <laughs> that's an old one, right? <laughs> So, you Urkel, know, Urkel's a good pull. I remember oh, I, I have two younger siblings. That was, and I uh, was knew that family. That. Yeah, exactly. So that was a big one at so our household growing up. Um, so, you know, I was definitely in that space where that's how I got attention. I was a really good kid. I didn't do bad things. I always followed the rules. So, my attention came from, from being big as a little, a small person, right? And so, when I, in my role self, that became very apparent that those weren't necessarily things that I was. And I was going out on air all the time and my resources were so depleted every time after our five-hour show, I would just be like, wow, I'm exhausted. Am I outputting too much? Is that the authentic me? Am I, you know, what is this? And I was so, so just done every day. And I was like, maybe I need to reel it in a little bit because I'm doing too much. And I started to learn that that wasn't really authentically who I was. That was the role self, the dance monkey in me that was saying, this is how you're going to be seen. This is how you're going to be accepted and loved and cared for and nurtured and all those things that we want as a a child, right? My inner child was holding on to that idea that that was my identity. This is where you're going to be seen. And if you're not there, then you can't be seen anymore. And so on that worksheet, the other side was your authentic self. So then when you unfold it and you compare it and you look and see where you're living, I was 100% living in my role self. Mm -hmm. And so I started to pray and try to figure out what I needed to do and why and where I wanted to go with it. And it ended up opening a lot of doors into being an independent journalist. Um, For me, it was something that was very scary and something that I didn't know how to even start it or what it would look like or why I wanted to go after that. Um, But I know you want to know how it started and what was the like, yeah. poof, how did that happen? Yeah. So uh, right when I was, right when I left, I put out a poll on my pages and I said, when you guys watch the media, when you consume news in any capacity, whether it's looking online, Facebook, on the local news, national news, or a newspaper, when you consume news, do you feel like you're getting the clear picture? I didn't put it out there. Are you getting, you know, is it biased? Is it this? Because that that's not ever my agenda, right? I don't have an agenda. It was just to understand, do people feel like they can trust us? And an overwhelming 90% said no. And so what came to my mind was, does a tree make a sound if it falls in the woods and no one's around? Yeah. What The stories that I have to share with people and the stories that I'm passionate about, no one's going to hear because people are going to start, they don't trust us. And so can I, for can me, I, can, I, can I stop you for just a sec? I, I'm yeah. only, I, I, I want to, because I'm wondering, do you think that number has changed over the years? You say it's 90%. I know in the political yes. environment that we live in currently, there's a lot of distrust towards uh, news and mainstream media comparative to 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, where I would think people would almost take the news literally like that's, that, that, that's what's happening. That's what it is. Yes. That's what's right. I, but I think, you know, I think, I think it's kind of twofold because I think that I think that there was trust, full trust in the media back in the day. Walter Cronkite, Edward Murrow, Edward R. Murrow, like of course there was trust, right? But they also didn't have a, like social media to check them and to hold them yeah. accountable, right? So it was what was gospel because there weren't different outlets. So I think you know sometimes I say um, you know the former administration made it tougher with the fake news narrative. But at the same time, it held us accountable. It held it held the media 
to a standard. And I think that even since I put out that poll, trust in the media has gone down. Um, and that was, you know, four months ago. I would say the situation that we're looking at right now, um, things being slanted blatantly, blatant lies from the administration, and those things are funneling down into the local media. That that I would say is is a detriment and is 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 reckless and scary because we do trust the media. And right now, when you go on there, and I mean, one of the things I've been covering extensively is the southern border. And when you go on and you listen to the media talking about those horse photos and doubling down on it, when the photographer has since came out and said that didn't happen. And there's a video exonerating the border patrol, not saying that those photos didn't bring up feelings in people. I'm not dismissing the feelings, but the facts that the president doubled down on and those things are being, are still being the narrative on local stations. And I'm sitting there and I was there and I'm like, that's a blatant lie. And you're stoking the divide. You are divide, you know, and so that's why I'm saying, I think the media, any, um, trust that they had, they've got to really work hard to keep it right now because people are seeing and people are not having it. They aren't. And, um, it's, it's sad because I love journalism and I know people work really hard, but the stigma that is starting to really surround it. Um, I mean, they're having a hard time hiring and we're seeing people drop like flies out of the industry because there's a lot of people that just don't feel like there's a lot of integrity in news anymore. So let me ask you this as an independent journalist. And I've seen I, I saw some of what you were posting again on social media with all that work you were doing down at the border. Is your outlet then is that do you try to do, do you sell to mainstream? Outlets, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing own? yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, or is this all via social media? Do you so, look at like creating YouTube channels? I mean, is it drawing yeah. people into, in essence, you are, I, I know you like Ali Bradley TV. I mean, is that, is that it? Is that how people yeah. listen to the content that you're now creating? Right now, until I get, you know, a good footing and a good following, that was just the platforms I had. I had eyeballs on on my platforms, you know, and my YouTube has grown substantially. So hopefully that will be a place that I can do things um, and that people can access. So a couple of things here. You asked if I'm selling. A lot of people have said, go to Patreon, do this. I do not feel as though any any journalism, any facts, any news should be something you have to pay for ever. I fully believe that everything should be accessible to everybody. If somebody can, you know, wants to like a sponsor or something comes on, that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. But for me, I do not want corporate like money. If it's a sponsor, it would have to be signed, sealed, delivered on live Instagram, you know, Facebook live and saying I have full autonomy for everything and they don't get to have editorial, you know, content uh, discussions at all because I, I do not like that. I do not like, being a slave to any kind of corporation right now, because there are, everybody has a bias and you can see it everywhere. And my, my MO is to be objective and to not have a bias. And so right now I get to do that. I get to just report the facts, whether it makes you happy or not. I have people fighting all over my pages, but the goal would be to, you know, right now I'm going to sell some merchandise and stuff to stay afloat. Cause I honestly, am not getting paid. I've had network job offers and I've turned them down because I don't want to be, I don't want to sell out. I'm sorry to say that, but that's, it's selling out for me because my, my whole thing is that we are in an echo chamber here, Ryan, especially in the Seattle area. And all you see is what you want to see or what is being pumped out to you. And then we've got the algorithms, right? So you're only going to see those things. And so we just stay in that. And so for me, 
my idea, I mean, my friend told me to come down to the Southern border and I was like, dude, you're preaching to the choir. Everybody you're reporting to already knows it's happening. And then if I report on it, they're just going to be mad. So I don't, I'm not going to deal with it. So about a month later, I was like, you know what? My pages have very diverse people on it. It's they're from all walks of life. I lived in five States. They aren't biased. And I get called a Republican, a Democrat every other day. So I must be doing my job right. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go down there uh, in the beginning of August. And it was a God thing because I lined right up with the sheriff that I ended up being embedded in with this national crisis that made, you know, made the headlines. And so that was, that was full circle almost. I went there over a month ago. And then when this happened, I jumped on a plane. Um, I was supposed to be there right now. Um, but that, that, yeah, we had planned cause I was going to do like a month, you know, Hey, let's check in, see how things are going. And then what happened at the border happened. And so I go, do you need me down there now? And he's like, yep. So I hopped on a plane. And when we talk about trust in the media and things like that, those poor guys down there have been sounding the alarm since February. They couldn't get anyone to cover it except for some of their local people. And even then, you know, it's kind of like our homeless crisis, right? It's an ongoing thing. So unless there's something really shocking, like 15,000 people under a bridge, no one's taking notice. And so he was like, I need you to help me get the word out. Um, basically, he had a brother in Lake Stevens. And uh, I emailed him the next day after his brother said he knew nothing about it. And he was like, oh, I need to talk with her. So I went down there. And, you know, being an independent journalist, I get to do what I what I need to do on the time I need to do it. And I'm live streaming everything. And people, I was really scared at first because I didn't know if people were going to A, receive that well, and B, how my personality would translate on a live forum trying to get to know somebody. And it ended up being beautiful because people want transparency and they want their words to be their full words, not edited bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. They don't want, they don't have, they just want the truth out there or whatever they want to be said to get out. And so when you live stream, you can't edit it and you can't twist yeah. things. And so I actually found that more people were willing to talk to me and to be involved. So I did start a little bit of a company situation. It's called IOTA, which is Interactive Objective Transparent Assignments. Okay, and I was so going to ask you about that. So I'm glad yes. you're talking. I have your webpage up right yes. now and I was going to ask you about yes. IOTA. So AllieBradleyTV.com is where you guys can find that. Um, and so the acronym is IOTA, Interactive Objective Transparent Assignments. And I played around a lot with different names and I really like the objective and transparency sides of things because that's it. Like you get it all. And if I mess up, I'm going to tell you and I want you to call me on my BS. I want, I want to know and I want to have conversations because that's the only way I think we're going to heal as a nation is to have a little grace and compassion for others. And you don't have to accept someone else's idea, but you need, you should understand it and hear it. And I think that people are doing that on my pages and it's beautiful. Um, but when I was thinking of ideas for names, I looked up what IOTA meant in the dictionary, what the definition was. And it said, um, for the example, it said, nothing she see said ever seemed to make an IOTA of a difference. And that hit me like that's in the dictionary that nothing she said ever made an IOTA of difference. And I said, well, you know what? I always thrive on proving people wrong. So I'm going to make a difference. Something small can make a difference and one person can. And so I think that that's, you know, that's where that name and the vibe comes from is just, you know, one person, one thing can make a change, can make a difference. You just have to want it and you have to be passionate about it. Speaking of that, as I'm listening to you talk, that was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, hey, you are 
fired up and passionate. And it's really cool to hear. And I, I can hear that in your voice. And it's, uh, I think it's contagious and infectious. And it's always fun when somebody lives a life that way. And a lot of what I want to bring about on this pod- podcast are people that are living authentically. And you talked about a little bit of that fear and being scared when you first started streaming live. How do you overcome that? I know that's a big thing for me right now. I've always been pretty quiet on social media. I've never really been engaged much. I'm just now over the last three to six months and starting this podcast and doing some things coming out of my shell a little bit on that. I know you talked about having your younger sister with disabilities and Mm -hmm. and being the performer and being the one doing all these impersonations. So maybe some of this is your personality, but where does that come from within you? Do you Mm. think that that kind of fire and passion and drive that you seem to have to, to, as you said, really share the truth and not, I mean, not that you don't care what people are going to say, but like you said, you're going to speak it like it is. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, and you said you must be doing something right because (laughs) people label you one thing or something different the very next day. And so that means you're not just catering to a singular type of person. Yeah. I mean, I think I I shared something on my page. I actually pinned it to my Twitter and it's from a Christian song by a group called Unspoken. And the song is called Soldier. And in it, it says, I'm a protector, defender, and fighter for the truth. And that resonates and that hits with me. And I, I am honestly like this person that you're talking to is 100% me. Everybody thinks I'm a lot. I get called a big personality all the time. And like that, you know, that kind of burns my biscuits a little bit, but I'm like, you know what? God gave me this crazy personality and this big person because I love with my whole heart. And I think that that shows, I hope that it shows. And I think, you know, people can feel vibes from other people. And I think that when I'm around people and and being in all of the different walks of life I have been in and experiencing all the different things I have experienced in life, I try really hard to meet them where they're at. You know, I don't try. I, I always come in and try to read the room a little and meet them where they're at and understand. But then I always find a little in, you know, I find the in and I'm like, Ooh, I got mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and it yeah. always ends up, they always end up hugging me at the end of my interviews, um, texting me being like lifelong friends after I talk to everybody. And that's, that to me is my gift that God has given me that I love people. And I hope that people can feel that when they're talking to me. And that also helps me do my job as an independent journalist, because for me, I am a voice for the people that don't have one and a voice for the people, right? So if you if you feel a certain way strongly about one side, then that should encourage you to look into the other side. And for me, all of these issues that are so divisive and so hard and so heavy, they're all people issues at the end of the day. And so when you love people and you think about that first and you have compassion, you don't have to lie. You don't have to fabricate things. You don't have to twist the truth because they're human issues. They are. The border crisis is a human issue on many levels. You know, the COVID thing is a human issue. And if you look at the people and you look at the faces and you have conversations, it shouldn't, you don't have to slant it. Yeah. And you were talking about the algorithms of social media and how you only see what you want to see and you just Mm -hmm. keep, you just keep getting pumped that same information and I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about the job that I feel like I do because I'll be working with the crew and there's six, there's six people at the station that I work with and 
it can be six people with very different political Mm -hmm. views and backgrounds. And yet the amount of respect that everybody has for one another is through the roof. And we know that we can trust one another on, Mm -hmm. uh, on a call and, and we can come back and we can talk about things. And Mm -hmm. it is, if you put a face to it and you actually have a conversation you mm-hmm. realize, okay, we may disagree on certain issues, but that doesn't mean that we need to be enemies. And exactly. Fact, quite the opposite. We can still love each other and, and be family. And how boring and, would the world be if we yeah. all agreed? Gosh, yeah. why are we why are we allowing that to be the norm? I want people to question me. Sometimes they, they're not nice and, and I have to do my best and, and try to, you know, smooth things out. But it how boring is the world if we don't question things and we don't have conversations and we don't go, why do you feel that way? I want to understand because that's interesting to me because I don't feel that way. And I mean, we, we grew up, I think, I think it's safe to say we're similar in age. We grew up in a, I think a time when you didn't talk about politics or religion, right? Like that was early on. You didn't. And it became a thing where you do, and I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay with the shutting it down right away if you don't agree. Again, I don't think you have to agree, but you can, you can acknowledge, you know, and you can go, okay, that person lives a different life than me. I don't walk in their shoes and I don't go home to them. And I always look at the way I always say it is it is not my place to judge. They'll face God at the pearly whites. That is not for me. It is not. And I don't care. I don't care what you look like, what you wear, who you love, how you dance, where where you shop. If you're vaccinated, I don't care. That is not my place. And that I think makes it easier for me to do my job too, is I, everybody deserves the same level of compassion and kindness until they don't anymore. So let's circle back a little bit to Ooh, circle, back. circle back, back to at the top, we talked a bit about mental health and. Oh yeah. That's why we're yeah, here. That's, that's, well, that's, why we're that's, here. Not the, that's not the sole <laughs> reason we're here at all. I love just hearing your story. That's I, I can, I just want that to be a little bit of why we're here. It doesn't need Thank to be you. it at all, but <laughs> I do know you You said when your time at Q13 came to an end, you were at a very low point, even had suicidal thoughts. And I know that you are very outspoken about the importance of mental health and you would update constantly on Instagram of your mental health checks and, and things of that nature. I think it was like 90 days straight. I think I missed a okay. couple here and there. That's but incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> and I know you said now, and, we, and I think this might've been before we were recording, we said how, as you were saying with the podcast, I had to take a break because you start mm-hmm. putting this pressure on yourself that, oh man, people are expecting this. Like in your case that you needed mm-hmm. to do one every day or for me, I needed to crank mm-hmm. something out every week. And I'm just like, I just can't keep up. I don't have the bandwidth to, to do that. And to do it right. And so that's why I'm trying to mm-hmm. chunk it down into, into seasons and really trying to, you know, fewer episodes, but really hone in on certain topics and, right. and themes, if you will. What was the catalyst that led you to become such an advocate for the importance of mental health awareness? Um, so really, I mean, so I have, I have trauma in my past. And um, if you Google me, it's really easy to find out that um, I am a rape survivor. And I shared my story publicly at one of my last stations when I was in York, Pennsylvania. And the reason I shared that was that, be, that was because it was during the Harvey Weinstein trials. Um, actually, a, a King 5 news anchor had shared her story publicly. And that was what kind of encouraged me to step out and also share my story because I just thought if I could help one person, and that has always been what has resonated with me. If I can help one person, if I can, even if, even if I can't save myself, if I can save someone else, that to me is, is enough. And so with my story, um, 
I got a lot of support and I really wanted to go hard after, you know, I'm going to go in, I'm going to work with all these women. I'm going to do all this stuff. And it ended up hitting me like a ton of bricks. Like I'm not ready really to, to do that. But then when I left Q13, um, right before that, I took a mental health leave. I took a break because things I broke pretty much. I, I did, I, you know, I had these feelings where I was driving home from work, just crying, just going to work, cry. Like I did not want to be there. I was just so depressed. And we see you and I see a lot of the same things. Um, as journalists, we oftentimes arrived on scene the same times you guys did, if not sometimes before. (laughs) And so it it was challenging, but it wasn't, it wasn't the the crime scenes and the fires and the things that were sad. It was seeing the mom show up and see her child on the ground. You know, those things hit me and it was seeing, it was going and talking to families all the time. They would send me out because I could make, I, I don't want to say I could make people cry, but I'm an emotional person. So people always cried with me. And like I said, we always hugged and it was because I think they could trust they, they were safe and they didn't feel like I was there to extort them. And I didn't, I texted them for six, seven weeks after I, you know, have still kept in touch with some people that I covered their really, their worst day in their life. Right. And so those things all played a part, but they also desensitized me a little bit. And I think things just kind of came crashing down for me after my divorce, the pandemic was going on, things at work again, weren't really a fit for me. And it was starting to become apparent. And so I stepped away for five weeks. Well, after about three weeks of not being on the weekend show, everybody started going, where's Allie? Where's Allie? Where's Allie? And I was like, okay, so it's about three weeks that I get the the grace period there until I have to kind of. I'm a transparent person and I always have been. People, if you if they're following me on any of my social media platforms, you pretty much know who I am and what I what I'm about because I share a lot of my life. And it's just me and my dog. So I'm bored. So you get a lot of it. <laughs> um, but so I finally went on and went on Facebook Live after, you know, a lot of people were concerned and I shared where I was and where I was physically, you know, right here, and where I was mentally. And I was was in a dark place and I had um, gotten back on antidepressants. I had gotten back on my medication. Um, my, somebody in my past had encouraged me to get off my medication. So um, during this time, I was in a flux you know, with my, with my mental state and everything was just really vulnerable for me. And again, I was in, like, in a space where I was kind of choosing what to do with the career I worked my entire life for and where my identity lied. I I didn't have anything without that. I was just holding on to that with all of my might. And when, um, when I went back, um, it was basically when I, when I did my first video, I got such a response from so many people. It wasn't just one with so many people that said, I haven't even told my family that I'm suffering. Um, you've encouraged me to do that. You know, you are a person that we see as somebody that is happy all the time. This is like crazy, you know? And it's kind of like it's kind of like Robin Williams and Robert Downey Jr., right? Like they're just these these balls of life and energy, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Whoa, what happens when they go home and when they're alone?" And it's hard. It's hard because you don't have anybody to perform for, right? And so when your identity is wrapped up in that, and that's all you know, and that's all you have, who are you? And so those things all so started this to com- hit this me. This comes back to a little bit of what you talked about earlier, that exercise, yeah. your role yeah. self and your authentic self. Exactly. And so, you know, people started saying, oh my gosh, like I see myself in, in these conversations and in you and I go, oh, this, this could be a thing. I could do this for a little while. So while I was away for, you know, that five weeks, I was doing mental health checks. I started realizing there were a lot more people with mental health issues 
that I like to say challenges because I always rise to a challenge. I don't issues yeah. always kind of makes it seem mm-hmm. like we got problems. Yeah. So, you know, we will, we'll take on any challenge, right? And I think you and I are good at that. So um, mental health challenges are very real and they're very real among so many people you wouldn't think they're real among. And again, I think most people at this juncture can say, yeah, I'm struggling a little bit. Yeah. I, I maybe could talk to somebody. Um, and so for me, I just started going on every day around 11 a.m., a good, bad, or indifferent, no makeup, yes, makeup, whatever, get my PJs and get on and just talk, just talk to people. But this was the important part for me. It wasn't necessarily to go on and share your struggles because for me, what the other thing that I've noticed um, is that when you, when someone has a struggle that is really heavy, like someone's been, you know, was, was abused and raped as a child versus someone who lost their mom, right? They might feel like their trauma isn't heavy enough and valid. Mm -hmm. And so I try not to make that space somewhere where they have to compare their traumas. And that goes back to why I ended up in mental health space instead of being an advocate for women in domestic violence and, and rape survivors, because those are such sensitive traumas. But when you look at mental health, mental health, we all get there differently right? We all have very, very unique stories, very unique trauma, very unique experiences, but we all feel, we all, when we're, when you're talking to someone with a mental health challenge, we all feel very similar things. We all feel disconnected from our body. We all feel exhausted. We all feel like we are trying to please everybody. We all feel like we, you know, we don't know who we authentically are. We, what we say when we're talking to a counselor about our feelings it doesn't matter how we got there. We're all in this together, right? Mm-hmm. So I found that our traumas isn't what bonds us, but it's how we're dealing with our traumas. And so what I do on my, my mental health checks is provide as many resources as possible. And I like to know how somebody is overcoming their trauma. But again, I don't like to minimize someone else's healing because for some people, they haven't even started. And then they might watch someone and go, oh, I'm not even there. And so I'm a piece of crud. And I'm going to go hide in my hole. And that is the last thing I want. So I go on there and say, man, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have bad days. And I have them. Oh boy, I have them. (laughs) I've had a couple (laughs) this week. And today I'm doing great, but it's okay to have bad days. It's not okay to not accept them and not acknowledge them and to just sweep it under the rug and not give yourself five minutes of intentional self-care and acknowledge that you are enough, even when you don't feel like you are. And so with the mental health checks, it just, it, it became kind of a little, little space for me as an outlet, but as to also connect people and to learn from others. And they, all those people, I mean, I'd say all those people there, you know, there's a couple of people that watch, they were helping me and are helping me heal too. So it's kind of a selfish thing, you know, like it's, it, I, I guess there, there's, there was that intention there. I didn't start that way, but it was like, wow, they're really helping me too. And so in that, I love to still go on there as much as I can. But like you said, you kind of had to chunk your thing down a little bit. I back to doing kind of boots on the ground journalism. And so when I'm out working, I don't even have a minute to hardly breathe, let alone take time. That is that I don't, I also don't like it to be rushed. When I get on there, I talk, for, I talk a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> You know, no. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want people to feel like I don't, I don't prioritize or care about them. And so um, I try now to go on and make it a little bit more substantial. And I've had guests on, I've had, you know, Seahawks on, I've had Marcus Trufant's been on, we've had some wonderful counselors on to just talk about their process. And, and I always tell them, 
You know, it's not, we're not looking at any issues in the world politically, anything like that. Like we're talking, we're going to talk about resources because what works for you might hit someone right smack dab in the forehead and change their life, you know? And that's happened to me in a, a lot of conversations with people as they say something profound and it stuck with me. One woman, her name is Melody Godfrey, and she said she almost ruined her marriage because of expectations. And she said, so now I make agreements, not expectations, because mm -hmm. people cannot read your mind. So if you need something from someone, make an agreement, put it out there, talk with them and tell them what you need, especially if it's one of your loved ones. Don't put those expectations on people because that's not fair. And that creates a tough situation for both of you. Yeah, a lot to unpack there and a few things that were coming to my mind as you were talking and a few that I wanted to touch upon anyway. But you're totally right. As a journalist, you do see a lot of trauma as we do as first responders. And I mentioned at the top that it does seem as though conversations around uh, mental health and, and the importance of, of mental health has come more to the surface at, mm -hmm. at the fire station. I, I think mm -hmm. we're having a lot of good uh, conversations. Uh, PTSD is a, a real part of the job. And while I think there are uh, more resources than there used to be and, and people do feel more open, I think a lot of people still feel a bit of a stigma around that, mm -hmm. especially in a profession that is a very type A alpha personality. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people don't want to admit mm -hmm. any weaknesses, be it physical, emotional, mental, what have you. So you talked about all these things that you're doing and then not judging and not trying to minimize one person's trauma or compare one person's trauma to another, bringing it back specifically to what I'm doing. You, you've done so many things. How do you think we get past some of this stigma huh. in the firehouse? Well, and it's hard to right? You're exactly right. Like it, it is coming more to the surface and we saw it happen in the Olympics. But then at the same time, we saw kind of the nation divided again. We saw a lot of people that were like, buck up. This is what you signed up for. And that's probably what resonates a lot in, in the firehouse. And my, I mean, I come from Oso, Washington. I'm a small town girl. I'm a country kid, right? So my dad even still is like, I'll talk to him on Tuesdays and he'll be like, oh, how was your day? I'm like, oh, I just got done with counseling. And he'll be like, yeah, it's good that every now and then to talk to someone. I'm like, no, dad, it's good all the time to talk yeah. to some, you know, like we are still very much like I come from a very much like pull yourself up by your bootstraps family too. And so I think what you're doing is a, the first step of having a, a support group like you have and having the peer support team. I think that's very important. Um, but I think that, I think that as a society, we are making steps and we are making progress. But again, your people still undoubtedly look at somebody that has a mental health challenge as unstable in some kind of capacity. And so I think that, you know, as many men, as many people that are willing to share and willing to um, open up about their situations, I think honestly, that is the first and best way to start chipping away at stigmas. And it's only your comfortability level, right? But I think the more people that are in positions that are um, service positions or are on the, you know, in the front of a public, uh, her perception, if they can speak and that resonates with someone else that might encourage others to speak. And it's a, it's a trickle down and it's a, you know, it's something that it all works in conjunction together. And the more that I talk about my mental health situation, the more I feel accepted, you know, it, it, the first day it was like, oh my gosh, these people are going to think I'm crazy and they're going to think I'm unhinged and no one's going to trust me. How are you going to trust what I'm saying when I'm sitting here crying about my mental health, you know, but there's, 
there's 500 people behind the screen that are crying right along with you. Like, that's what you have to remember is the stigma I feel like is there because we're also holding on to it ourselves a little bit. We're not opening up because we're afraid of what somebody might think or what somebody might say. And, you know, societally, we are making progress. So I say go full steam ahead, ring that bell and, you know, go just try to encourage people to, even if they do it anonymously, you know, to be able to share things and to get that out. Because the more people that are speaking about it, the louder it's going to to be and the more reach it's going to have, right? We we want a beast quake when it comes to our mental health. We want yeah. people to to understand that it's okay to not be okay. And we're all going to be in the same boat in one, it, you know, in some way, shape or form in our lives. And if nothing else has leveled us out, this pandemic has. And I think for you guys, gosh, it, it has to be, I feel like an impossible task at times because you guys do have to come off as extremely strong and extremely brave. And you are. And so to be, to have to, let me ask you as I'm, a, I'm yeah. going to flip the script. Yeah, flip do it. you feel, do you feel as though these men and women, when they are vulnerable and are open, that they are, that they are almost sacrificing the like baseline integrity they're supposed to have as somebody who's protecting and serving? Do they feel like they're becoming weak and not strong? Or what does that look like on your side? Do, do I think that? No, but I think there is some of that feeling inside of self. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. And uh, again, I won't share any kind of great details or names because this was all told to me in confidentiality, but I was on a call about a month ago and it was a, it was, it was a rough call that involved, uh, involved a death and uh, somebody that was a member of another crew from my same department. We were both on the same call and I got a call about two hours later from these guys. And he was just telling me that he was having a, a hard time with it and that he was thinking about going home from shift. And I encouraged him he should do so, but he was worried that that might make him look as though he was giving up on his crew or that his crew might think that he is, was being weak. Like you just said. And I told him mm-hmm. quite the opposite. I go, somebody needs to lead the example. Somebody needs to say that this is okay. Like you said, it's, it's okay to not be okay. And the more mm-hmm. that we do this and normalize it, the better it is. So I mm-hmm. basically said, yeah. you're, you know, think of this as being what a leader would do and, and just showing, showing these guys that it's, that Mm -hmm. that it's okay. And, and also how good are you going to be if you're in that space, not a great headspace. And then we get another, a call or maybe not a traumatic call, but a big structure fire. And then are you putting potentially yourself Mm -hmm. or one of your crew members at risk because your head's not in the game? So Mm -hmm. uh, really it's, 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 I think it's showing a sign of strength, Yeah, but internally, I think we internalize that and say mm-hmm. to ourselves that, 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 that we feel weak maybe because this particular call is we're, we're struggling with it for whatever reason. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that's where that comes, comes from. And I do think because this is a job where it is, you know, it's compounding, you see calls and, and most of them at the time you don't think impact you, but I do think it's that kind of you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like money compounding interest. It's just these mm-hmm. compounding natures of seeing trauma after trauma. And you said it, you said, it's not necessarily the patient always or, or, or the, 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 the event, but it's some of the mm-hmm. surrounding things when you, 
um, hear a family members and knowing that the grief that they're going through or for whatever mm-hmm. reason, certain calls just get you more than others. Maybe yeah. it's where you are in your own life. Maybe you feel like you have some kind of parallel connection to the person or there's something that seems similar mm-hmm. about their life compared to your own, be it yeah. age or having kids or whatever. And so, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to why one event could trigger one person and not mm-hmm. everybody else. And then you could flip that script yeah. and, a, and another call could, could, could trigger somebody else. So, well, and the sad reality too, is that we are a little desensitized in our jobs, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so there, you don't know you what's going to all of a sudden you almost hit have you. To be. You almost if you're have not, to be. there's that, yeah, there's that, oh. deta- it's, you almost need some detachment. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to get mm-hmm. through a, a, a shift. You wouldn't be able to do it for very Mm-mm. long because every call. So yeah, you don't know what's going to all of a sudden go, bam, gotcha. Yeah. And you're like, wait, because you do have it kind of, you have it dialed in a little because that's your job. But I thought about something else that might be something that the firehouse can do, fire department can do in Kirkland. Um, yeah. What about either getting involved in mental health walks or having one of your own? And because A, this, most people have acknowledged that first responders have PTSD or some kind of trauma. Most people have started to agree that that is something firefighters, police, that that you got and military members, that that is very real, right? We see it in our veterans. It's very real that PTSD is present. So I wonder if there's something that we can do and organize to create a space that people can see. You can be very strong and have weak moments, you know, and you can yeah. you can be very, very big and very, very tough but you, you're human, you know, and, and making it something that is accepted for everybody and having people see that, that you guys are, that you're out there and you, you're going to have, it's okay to not be okay. And maybe that's what it needs to be called. <laughs> there you go. I like it. We've already branded it. There We're you go. The races here we'll have this. to do a walk. <laughs> yeah. I was actually, I emceed a, a suicide prevention walk in Lake Stevens while I, uh, since my time away from Q13 and it was beautiful. A lot of people showed up and um, the communities really rally around that right now. And again, there are so many people suffering and so many people suffering in silence. And a lot of people, you know, there are those jerk people that come on and they're like, oh, you're attention seeking. This is my comment to that. <laughs> those who, <laughs> those who recover loudly and those who heal loudly and go through their trauma loudly might prevent someone from suffering in silence, Right they might prevent someone from dying quietly. So be loud, be loud about your story. If whether it's, you know, it's, if it's going to make you look weak or not, you might save someone from suffering in silence. That's well said. So let's, <laughs> let's get off the mental health train for a moment. Okay. Especially right now. I, I imagine a lot of your career, I don't totally know how the broadcasting and, and journalism world works, but I assume there's all kinds of production meetings and stories are talked about and hashed out and pitched and it's decided what's most important. But especially now as an independent journalist, you touched upon going down to the border and reporting on that. What do you look for? Oh, story. How do you decide what you want to report on? And do you have a particular topic or subject matter that you really enjoy reporting on? Yeah. So number one, I I mean, I've already kind of said it and I'm going to sound like a Jesus freak and I guess I am, but it's God. (laughs) It is because the border thing was fully a God thing. I mean, that was crazy that I was there when this blew up and was embedded with the top law enforcement official in that county. I was the only 
Um, Fox News was able to go down there because they've been reporting on it since May. I was the only journalist other than Fox News that was down underneath that bridge. That's a God. I mean, think about it. You know, like CBS is like, hey, can you get us down there? I was like, you can use me if you'd like. Um, but no. Um, they, and they didn't. They didn't decide to use my coverage, which is their prerogative. Um, but the way that I've decided, on A, they've kind of landed in my lap, if you will. The border one was I was encouraged through a friend. And then that came to a head with what we are seeing. And it's still going on. We have another 40,000 migrants that are coming up through Tapachula in Mexico right now. So it is still going on. It is, you know, that camp is cleared out. So America thinks that it's all good, but it's still going on. Um, and the, the other thing I'm working on, I'm working on two other stories. Um, I have a, a Afghan interpreter who was an ally, a, a U.S. Army interpreter. He is still in Kabul. Uh, we raised a little bit of money to help him relocate because his the Taliban came to his neighbor's house and kidnapped two of his neighbors. And so he's there with his wife and three kids. One of them is five months old. We had boots on the ground for him when America was still there. And he they wanted him to get in the car and drive. While his wife was not willing to do that with a five-month-old baby because you know what happens when you're in a car, you're very vulnerable, right? And the Taliban's blowing things up. She was not, she would have rather hid and taken her chances and get into a car. And so they're still there because we have not been able to get them out. So that is a story I'm working on. I'm actually going to talk to him again, I believe. It probably uh, in a couple of days, we are going to maybe talk tonight, but he's been talking to me on the phone. I've posted some of his videos as well to my YouTube channel and to my website. Um, and he's been very candid and he's saying, you know, I just want America to fulfill its promise. And I work shoulder by shoulder with these troops. And I just don't want people to forget about me. And it's heartbreaking. And I talked to him. I just talked to him today. Um, and he's, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm safe, but I'm bored. You know, it's like they're, it's, they're hiding. They're in hiding right now and have been for over, uh, for almost a month now, right? So it's, it's incredibly tough for them. So I'm on that story. And that's a human issue, right? It's a very yeah, it partisan issue for some reason. But to me, it's a human issue. This man is an ally of ours. He needs out. And so we're trying to help him. And we've reached out to a lot of people and hit a lot of roadblocks. So that is one thing I'm working on. And that is has its own legs. Um, and the other thing I'm really passionate about is our homelessness crisis in Washington state. So when I first moved back here, um, I had been gone for 12 years. I had visited, but I had been gone for a long time in my career. And so when I moved home and started working here, I wanted to clean every, I wanted to help everybody and clean up everything and fix everything. And I just really quickly realized I couldn't. And so I have now since started working on a story, a couple of stories. Um, a woman that I'm working with, she just three months ago was homeless and now she's in an apartment and she's volunteering and helping get other people off of the street. And we're working with an 18 year old who is addicted to drugs and she is uh, going through some treatment right now. So we're, you know, making some progress and it's just shedding light on very real problems that aren't being talked about. I think that's where my passion is, is just getting information out. And again, being a voice for those that don't have one. These people feel like they're suffering in silence, right? They don't have somebody to speak for them. And so God keeps putting these stories on my heart and in my lap, and I just keep pursuing them. So right now, the border crisis, um, you know, it's not in the news cycle right now. So the next progression that has, has lined up for me is to really start digging into child abuse and child trafficking that's happening in our country. Uh, primarily in the mass migration, it is a huge issue. It's a massive issue, but also it's happening in our kids too, in, our, in the States, because traffickers and um, different really icky people are going through social media channels. You know, we used to have AIM. 
ASL, right? Age, sex, location. Like that's all we had. And it was like stranger danger. Don't tell them anything. Now they're getting very good at pretending and lying and being different. And I know you have kids. I'm probably freaking you out, but, but they're doing really bad things to our own kids. And I think people don't talk about it because I think it is the unfathomable crime, right? Like it is the one thing that no one wants to accept is happening. And, and it is, and it's, it's awful. And women are being raped in these caravans and it's, it's bad. And so God put that right there. And I am teaming up with another uh, person that's been covering the border extensively on the Mexico side. And he's dedicated his life to child trafficking. And so we're actually going to go down to Mexico to Tapatula and we're going to see what they go through. Um, he walked 25 miles with one caravan with a, I posted a story, um, a picture with one, a man that was in full clothes with shoes on and everything holding the hand of a toddler that was probably two years old in a diaper, nothing else, no shoes. If that was, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go there. If that was your child, you would put your shoes on their feet. You would give them a shirt. The, the people around this child were all fully clothed and this kid was in diapers. That's child abuse. And that's a problem. And it's something that we don't want to look at. And the trafficking side, you have to dig even deeper. And so I'm working now with with a guy who has dedicated his life for the kids. And um, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm scared because it's not going to be pretty. Um, but this is, I think, part of my calling, right? It's it's being that voice for those that don't have one. I guess, you know, back to being scared. I mean, you're probably not pushing the envelope if you're not a little bit scared. Yeah, I keep telling people, like, get uncomfortable, you know? And yeah. if you're moved out of your space that you want to be in, like, take advantage of it and get uncomfortable because it's on purpose. You know, I didn't want to be moved. I was like, no, 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 let me stay, you know, holding on. And, it's the only way we grow. And and it's now I am, I am authentically myself and the best version of, I'm becoming the best version of myself, I truly believe, because I don't have to pretend and I don't have to put on a face and a show and be this perfect. I mean, I was literally told there to sit there and look pretty. Okay. I was done sitting there and looking pretty. I want, I, I that's it. not what I signed up for. I did not, that's, I was there to protect and inform. That was my job and it became something else. And that is not what I want. And it's not where I want to be. And maybe someday when I want to retire and I have all this credibility and I will take Robin Roberts job or something, I've been good learning <laughs> America. But for now, like it is scary. It's so scary. It's so scary to go out there and to go in the middle of, you know, riots and go in the middle of, I'm going to be down in a caravan full of people throwing rocks and, you know, being stopped by police. Like it is terrifying. And there are a myriad of communicable diseases. When I was down there under the bridge, there was all of the things, not just COVID. COVID was actually the one thing we weren't worried about Yeah, because there was TB and hepatitis. And I'm like, well, what, what, you know? And so I'm going to be around a lot of things that are very scary. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be attacked from different, sides and people that don't agree. And I am uh, doing what I'm doing. I get a lot of really mean messages and I, I get a lot of weird messages, but the more that you tell the truth and the more that you stand firm in your conviction, the more support you have. And I keep joking that I'm building the alley army. And so whenever somebody tries to come at me, somebody will go at them for me. And, and it's a beautiful thing because again, the more that you have integrity and are honest and just stay true to who you are, that's the genuine part of you. And that's what people want right now more than anything. And so being scared is okay, but 
but you have to be honest about it, right? You have to be transparent and you have to allow yourself to be a little vulnerable and to be uncomfortable. I think that that's, that's really important. And if, if you aren't, then what's life? Like being complacent and just sitting there. I think that now is the time to get a little uncomfortable and shake your life up. Now, if you have support in place, you don't want to go rogue. If you don't have somebody there that's got your back, whether it's your mama or counselor or Brian, whatever that looks like, or my mental health checks. um, You know, now is the time to shake things up because gosh, so many people feel like they have fallen on their faces and had to find a way to step back up and get back up and create their own space in a new space. And the society right now is so accepting of new ideas and new new ways to do things and online and whatever that looks like. You can do whatever you want now. Now's the time to be uncomfortable and to take advantage of that, in my opinion. Agreed. Are you going to go quit your job now? Don't quit yeah, your job. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to quit my job. I, I very much enjoy my job, but uh, but yeah. you're right. Get get comfortable with being uncomfortable. No exactly, doubt. exactly. And I think that's hard for people, though. You know. Oh yeah. But again, make sure that you have a support, and even if it's just the NAMI support line, which you you text the word home to seven four one seven four one. Even if that's it, and um, they can triage you and they'll get you in the right direction. Um, NAMI is a national alliance for mental health. So they deal with a lot of different things. And I just think that, you know, if you're going to do something like crazy, just make sure you have a support system in place. If you have any kind of mental health challenge, or even if you don't make sure that people around, you know, your plans and a backup plan and make a backup plan, you know, or, or look at what's the worst thing that can happen. That's what I always try to do too, yeah. you know, is advocate for yourself. And my mom always says, closed mouths don't get fed. So yeah, go after what you want, but look at what's the worst thing that could happen. You're going to be right back where you were. Now, what does that look like? Are you going to be able to support your family? Are you going to still have a job? Like those things are important. So don't create, don't get uncomfortable and create a bigger problem for yourself in the long run, because that will stir up other, you know, mental health challenges. Yeah. I saw, I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It said, but are you still alive? which I thought was really good. And it, it reminded me what you yeah. said, it, kind of like, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, yeah, you put yourself out there and so long as it doesn't kill you, you know, are, yeah. are, are there's that, isn't it in the hangover when he's like, but did you die though? Yeah. Yeah. But did you die though? It's exactly, that's, it's just it. Right. I mean, it can be crazy and this and that and, and, and did you die? No like sense, it's fine. Yeah. So long as you're, well, I so always say I know where I'm going. Day. If it's, if it's, if it's my time, like God will take me, I know where I'm going. So I'm not worried. I'm not staying here in the long run. Let's talk long run. You mentioned you're like, ah, maybe down the road, I'm ready to retire mm-hmm. you know, to fill Robin Roberts shoes, what have you. But mm-hmm. yeah, let's fast forward 20, 30 years down the road. How would you want people? So we're looking back on your career, like mm-hmm. three decades from now. Okay. How would you want people to describe you and your career as a journalist? Honest, just honest with integrity, you know, um, I, I try really hard to to make sure that that is a forefront and to do everything with with some compassion. So I think that that would be it. You know, honest, honest and compassionate is is something that I strive for. And again, I it's about people. We're all sharing this earth together. We're all sharing this this you know nation together right now. And it is the reality. So what are we going to do with it? And and how? are we going to be the best versions of ourselves together? And I think that that's, we are so divided right now that if I can even help heal any part of that with integrity and compassion, like that is how I want to be remembered. And yeah, I don't, I I want, 
people to go, I remember that. Remember when she was honest and she forged the path of, you know, transparent journalism. And, you know, that was something that, because we're not really doing that yet. And I think that what I'm doing might be the start of holding news more accountable because I, you know, it's important. People need to be able, we need journalism and we need the news. We do, and we need people we can trust. And so a little by little, I hope that people start to gain that trust back. And I hope that I get to play a part in that. Absolutely. No, you definitely are. We need trailblazers and you very much are <laughs> right now. Thank you. Okay, final, final few questions. Here. Right, these are our parting shots here. Okay. Okay. Are these like rapid fire questions? Relatively so. I banana. <laughs> Not quite that. You can okay. give it a little more than that. Okay. <laughs> Especially the first one here. All right, here we go. Okay, okay. You're having a conversation with the 18 year old version of Allie Bradley. What advice would you give yourself? Banana. No, um, <laughs> put the banana in the refrigerator because it's way better cold. Um, what would I, oh gosh, I would tell myself, you're gonna have failures in your life. You're gonna have missteps. You're gonna have things that you wish that you didn't do. You're gonna have things that you wish you weren't a part of, but don't ever let that define you and minimize you and feel like you aren't enough. And I need to tell my 36 year old self that too. You probably all do every step of the way. A non-living thing you cannot live without. A non-living thing I cannot live without? Mm -hmm. Oh, my phone. I mean, that's awful. <laughs> but I like literally do so much on my phone because yeah, yeah. of my job. Yeah. I have, yeah, it sucks. I'll, 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 I'll give or my time. hair. I really like my hair, <laughs> but you know, I'll go with the phone <laughs> or a banana. <laughs> See, it can all go back to that. <laughs> it all goes back to a banana. You are happiest when? Um, out in Oso watching my dogs run around at my pop pops house in the gazebo. He has beautiful acreage out there and it is, it is like the safest place in the world. It is mm. serene and it's heaven. It's lovely. You have to do something you're scared to do. What is your process of quieting that fear and proceeding anyways? Oh my gosh. I don't have one. I just do it. That yeah. I, it's so bad. I'm kind of reckless like that. I'm an adrenaline you. junkie. You're with me. Okay. No, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm with you. I probably have a little more of a, I, I just, I believe you. What, 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 talking to you a little bit today, that other interview we did just back and forth following you as I, as I have, I, I very much believe that's true. And, and I, and I, I, I very much, uh, I just think that's an amazing part of who you are and, um, it's, amazing it's or old, stupid, it's, reckless. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the old Nike slogan. Just do it. Yeah. I mean, if I think about it, that's when we're going to have problems. Yeah. It, you know, I get in my head, my head, my head, it, like my mind's a prison sometimes. So when I'm in there, holy. So sometimes I'm just like, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I, if I could go and embed with the Taliban right now and learn about what's going on in Afghanistan without taking a seat for one of these allies, I 100% would. I would do it. I, I am so, I, and I think that's what keeps me going is the adrenaline. It's when I slow down, that scares me. The, yeah. the calm is what scares me. I like hmm. calm, and I but I have to be painting or doing something because my mind will go, and I will think about things, and I will think about the worst things, and I will think about my abandonment issues and all of the things, right? So I try to stay busy, um, but I also have to rest, and I'm really bad at that. Okay, final question. What does being brave mean to Allie Bradley? Being brave means being scared. And not allowing that to dictate your life, not allowing that to stop you from something. If you're scared, don't let it stop you. And that's, that's going to be your bravery. That's going to be your fuel. Just 
you know, go for it. Yeah. Got you. If you're scared, do it. And that's, that's going to be the biggest, the biggest thing about bravery. But I think that, you know, when you're brave and, and you don't, and you do things that you're uncomfortable with and that you're scared of, and you do it for yourself and not for others, it makes such a difference in your life and in your heart and in your mental state, because you did it for you. You know, you, you got scared and you said, you know what, I'm not going to let that dictate me. I'm not going to let that hold me back. And I'm going to do this. I think a lot of times we look at societally bravery as something that's heroic or something that's a, a grand gesture or something that's seen. And it doesn't have to be. It can be something that just you do for yourself that you didn't even realize you were capable of doing. And that can be the bravest thing that you've done. It could even be that you don't want to get out of bed because you are in a depressed state and you decide to go on a walk or you decide to go to the park for yourself. And that is incredibly brave. Uh, Ali. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. I mean, I feel like I could actually continue talking to you for another hour or two. And I know. Going, well, you'll have to have me back after I get back perfect. from this adventure. Exactly. No, I would love to. I'd love to love to talk to you again. And uh, please stay in touch. And just best yes. of luck to everything you're doing. Thank you for Thank you. being out there and for going out at your, on your own and having the courage to do so. And as you said, sharing these stories, being a voice for those that don't have a voice. So. I'll certainly be following you as you go and just wish you all the best. Thank you. And thank you for giving me a voice today. I really appreciate you. And um, I'll follow along with you and continue to, to lift you guys up too. I'm always thinking about you guys. So send in lots of love to the department and take care of yourself, my friend. Awesome. All right, Allie, you as well. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, take care. That's a wrap on episode 22 with Allie Bradley. Thanks again to Ali for sharing how she's doing her part as a journalist to create more transparency with her viewers and also for her vulnerability and strength when discussing her own personal mental health challenges. To learn more about Ali and see the latest story she's reported on, you can find her at AliBradleyTV.com. That's A-L-I-B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-T-V.com. To learn more about what's going on in my world, you can visit my website at ryanshafer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R.com. One final reminder to share, rate, and subscribe to The Bravest Kind with Ryan Schaefer. We'll be back at it next week with another fearless guest. Until then, continue to be brave in your own lives.